Howdy folks, before we start today, I just wanted to take a minute to recognize the fact that we've just officially passed the six-year mark, six years of Texas podcast in history. Thanks for coming along with us, and make sure that you do your part by sharing the show, telling people about what we do, and let us know what you think about Texas history. You can find all our info and socials on the website, on the podcast page, or also at the end of this episode. What do you have against nudity? Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Alpstrom. In the summer of 1969, tens of thousands of young Americans traveled across the country to experience an outdoor music festival like no other. In Texas! This week, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Texas International Pop Festival, Texas Woodstock. But first, what is the best outdoor music festival you've been to in Texas? Well, I'm going to throw an easy one out here that's Willie Nelson's Picnic. It was at the Verizon Theater in San Antonio in 2002. I was first date with my wife. It was exceptionally hot. Willie Nelson was exceptional. We had a great time. So, yeehaw! I think it goes without stating that if there's an outdoor music festival in Texas, it shall be hot. Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, yeah. maybe that's the thing. Maybe there needs to be a January music festival. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have a marathon in January in Houston. So, you know, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Well, I don't know. I mean, I've been to a lot of outdoor festivals in Texas, but. Um, I've really only been to one outdoor musical festival in Texas, and that was Lollapalooza in 1996, where I rocked the vote and got in for free. Um, I want to say that was in was that in was Gun Barrel City? No, it was at Old Fort Dallas, and that Old was Fort the Dallas, show. That's uh, right. That was the show Metallica. Yeah, headlined. Metallica headlined that. Not one, exactly yeah. alternative, but still. No, but neither was Lollapalooza at that point. Well, they weren't quite load yet. They they still had load had not come out, so they hadn't no, transformed. No, I, I meant Lollapalooza was not exactly. Yes, that's true. Um, alternative. At that that's point. the loudest. The loudest I've ever heard any group perform anywhere was the Ramones at that set at that show. That was literally the last I've ever heard any band. It was pretty loud. Yeah. Soundgarden, too. Good to yep. see some good stuff. Uh, so my favorite one, that Lollapalooza was really good. Uh, but I, I, I got to, I worked at the Rock the Vote booth at numerous uh, festivals uh, in the mid-90s. And my favorite one was Edgefest 95 because we got to see Hagfish, which was our favorite local punk rock band. Uh, they played the big stage. Uh, and uh, Deep Blue Something was there right when they were starting to become a hit, and the Nixons played, and uh, we saw them the next year as well. And in uh, Letters to Cleo and Veruca Salt proved they were actually different bands, uh, if you remember those two bands from 1995, and Adam Ant played, he was good, and then Blues Traveler was there. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, you know. Notwithstanding. You've got to get a dig in, don't you? you just got to get a dig in. John Popper and his vest, oh, harmonicas, was there. That guy's put a lot of hours in practicing that harmonica, friend. <laughs> no. yeah. The summer of 1969 is justifiably known as the high point of rock music festivals in American pop culture. Starting in May and running through the summer, 
there were multiple outdoor festivals that drew crowds well in excess of 100,000 people, including the Northern California Rock Festival, the Newport Festival in Los Angeles, the Atlanta International Pop Festival, and the Atlantic City Pop Festival. Of course, in mid-August in upstate New York, the most famous music rock concert of all time saw 400,000 hippies descend on a dairy farm near the tiny town of Woodstock. Two weeks after Woodstock, though, was Texas' contribution to this legendary time in music, when 120,000 kids braved the summer heat of Labor Day weekend in the Dallas suburb of Louisville for the Texas International Pop Festival. The origin of the Texas International Pop Festival was in one of those shows, the Atlanta Pop Festival, which was held on July 4th weekend that year in Georgia. Among the 200,000 attendees was 26-year-old Angus G. Wynn III, who is the son of Angus Wynn, the guy who founded Six Flags over Texas just a few years before. We talked about Six Flags several years ago. I think six years ago, right? Back in season yeah, one? I think it was this, I think it was first season, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at any rate, young Angus was a concert promoter in the Dallas area, and he decided he could pull something off like this in Texas. He joined up with the Atlanta Festival's main organizer, Alex Cooley, and together they formed the company Interpop Superfest to do just that. It had taken the organizers of Woodstock eight months to pull their massive undertaking together. Wynn and his promoting partner, Jack Calms, set the date for their festival to be the end of summer, Labor Day weekend, less than two months away. They found a location, the Texas International Speedway, which is a modestly, modestly sized racetrack located next to what was then called Lake Dallas, but now is known as Lake Louisville. The town of 6,000 people innocently approved the festival, not really knowing that Wynn planned over 200,000 attendees. Finally, he was able to book 20 artists, jazz, folk, blues, and rock bands to perform. Wynn later said, One of the reasons this thing took off was the very serious, come-together feeling we inspired. There was a lot of discontent with the war. All the ingredients were there to make it memorable. Of course, the news in mid-August of the massive Woodstock Festival hit television stations nationwide. The images of the free-spirited, free-loving concert-goers and of mud, pot, LSD, and other sundry anarchy were quite inspirational to young people in posterity. But they terrified the older generations, and very quickly voices sounded the alarm about these antics coming to the quiet town of Louisville. But it was too late for the mayor, improbably named Sam Houston, to do much to stop the show. How great would it be to have a mayor named Sam Houston? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if he was a jackass, um, not so much. Hmm. We'll get to that in just a second. Wynn took a similar track for organizing the show as been done at the Woodstock show. He contracted with the hippie commune group, the Merry Pranksters, to organize the camping area and to manage a free stage for some bands to play after their main stage gig and where locals not playing on the main stage would perform. Another hippie, another hippie commune, the Hog Farm, provided security and food services for the event. They also managed the herbal and chemical entertainment portion of the festival. <laughs> in the days immediately before the festival, more and more young people showed up to the campgrounds, and this is where the culture clash started. The free-spirited hippies took advantage of the cool waters of Louisville Lake and took to skinny-dipping. This, of course, drew the attention of boats filled with townspeople, mostly men, who pulled up to watch. Later, a flyer was distributed to take Pop Fest organizers to task for indecency and called them, quote, smut peddlers and moral thieves. 
Of course, it wasn't the festival organizers taking pictures and publishing them all over the local papers. The editorial board of the Dallas Morning News celebrated the start of the event with an opinion piece stating, quote, We wish we could voice a sincere welcome, but this newspaper simply cannot get accustomed to or condone youngsters of both sexes living together, smoking pot, defying authorities, and refusing to work. They continued saying, quote, Young people assembling to hear music is one thing. Young people assembling in unspeakable costumes, half-naked, barefooted, defying propriety, and scorning morality is another. Who and where are their parents? Still, by most accounts, there was much more kindness than trouble among the crowds. The hog farm served 3,000 fried chickens provided by the Mini Pearl restaurant chain. I forgot that there was a restaurant chain called the Mini Pearl Chicken Place. That was a long time ago. Did they have grits you could kiss? They did. No, that's a different one. I know, it's a different show. (laughs) Well, they also, the hog farm also tried to get the naturists to put some clothes on. Their leader, Hugh Romney, was lying on a stage early on in the festival, and he was exhausted from trying to get kids to put their clothes back on, when B.B. King tapped him on the shoulder and asked him if he was Wavy Gravy. He replied, I am now. And he took that as his name, and and he became a hippie legend. And... A, uh, didn't they make an ice cream in that? They did. Uh, yeah, ben, ben and Jerry's, Jerry's made, a, made a wavy gravy ice cream. So unlike Woodstock, there was uh, apparently no bad acid and a few negative incidents. Unlike Woodstock, though, there was also no rain. Labor Day in Texas is hot, folks. Temperatures were in the 90s all three days of the show. Somebody brought some watermelons, and everyone loved it. They'd... Uh, Just pass them on, take a bite, and pass them on. There was only one death due to heat stroke, but there was also one birth. So I guess that balanced out. The biggest loss was for Wynn, who took a major bath financially, losing $100,000 on the show since he'd expected twice as many people to show up. In the end, for over 120,000 young people, it was a great experience. The Louisville police chief, Ralph Adams, who'd submitted his resignation a few days before the festival, ran security on the PopFest payroll. At the end of the weekend, he held up a peace sign and told the crowd, quote, You're fine. You're welcome back here anytime you want to. This town is yours. Dallas folk singer Lou Mitchell took the morning news to task for its negativity over the event. She sang, quote, We were lewd and loose in Louisville. We had us a time. Lewd and loose in Louisville, covered with dirt and grime. Lewd and loose in Louisville. The Dallas News told you so. So it'd be fun to take a minute to run through this incredible list of performers that uh, played on the shores of Lake Louisville. Yeah. Now, before we do that, I just want to share. So there is a video that I found on YouTube. It is uh, There's two videos. One is of uh, WFAA, which is uh, the local ABC affiliate channel. And they had a short news report with some discussions with some of the, the people that were there. But then there's a there's an hour and 17 minute documentary. Uh, that's on YouTube about the Texas International Pop Festival. Uh, it's really faded. Uh, the quality is pretty bad because it's 8mm film and it's really degraded a lot. However, there was some very interesting audio on there. Uh, Sheriff Adams gets up and tells the crowd uh, that they've been wonderful. There has not been a single arrest in the grounds. The only arrest that they've had was from people outside, specifically the gawkers. Uh, and the... Uh, 
the mayor is on a couple of times at the beginning. They ask him what he, you know, what he thinks about the young people. And he said, this is, this is amazing. Uh, this is the the biggest thing I've ever seen. And then he got up to, and on the second day and spoke to the crowd and told them, you young people have been a credit and you are, you have just been so wonderfully behaved. And there's, you know, your, your, uh, your behavior and your actions speak highly of you. Uh, he said that the Texas OU weekend is is more <laughs> there's worse behavior at Texas OU games than there was at this event. And then finally, I think there was a, a, a couple of folks from Louisville from the city that they talked to and said, you know, they said that this is you know what do you think about should you have uh, you know, should you shut this down? You know, what about the people that are saying uh, there's there's lots of drugs here and this shouldn't be allowed. And they basically said that these people, these youngsters were, were fine and they're not bothering anybody. And, uh, it's the outsiders who have a problem with this, not, the, not the kids that are here. So it was very, very interesting. The city kind of freaked out a little bit at the very beginning, but then, you know, these young kids, these teenagers and young adults that showed up and in their weird outfits and their, you know, shipping down their clothes and the nothing jumping in the lake, you know, they, they were the city embraced them because they weren't crazy and wild. They were respectful and they were contained and they just were well organized. So that, yeah, it was really, really neat to see, to see that. Now, now I wouldn't watch this video with your kids because it does actually show, you can't really see very much, but it shows the skinny dippers uh, um, in the middle of this show, but it also has fantastic, fantastic footage of some of these groups so what do, uh, what do you what do you have against ahead. what do you have against nudity uh, it's just not appropriate just, for children just joking <laughs> but so day one uh this was saturday august 30th 1969 the the first group was grand funk railroad and they were just getting started. They'd only been around for a few months, um, not even like just that summer. And uh, they didn't, didn't even have an album out. And they became big stars later in the 1970s, of course, with American Band and Locomotion. And uh, uh, what's some of the other Grand Funk Railroad songs, Mike, that you oh, remember? Oh, uh, the uh, Closer to Home, I'm Your Captain. That's the big I'm one. I'm Your Captain, yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the stuff right well, there. Well, I'd say American Band is really their biggest hit. Actually, Locomotion was their biggest hit. Uh, second group for the day was Canned Heat. Uh, if you know this group, they sang "One Up the Country," which you've seen in the uh, Geico commercials, uh, the motorcycle commercials. Uh, hmm. This song had been a theme song of the Woodstock Festival, and they'd played at Woodstock on the second day. They're kind of, a, they're definitely a '60s band. Uh, the next group is a group you might have heard of. They were called the Chicago Transit Authority. Uh, which is a progressive jazz rock band from Chicago, of course. Uh, they just released their first album. The next album, they changed their name to Chicago, and I think they released 175 albums also named Chicago over the next <laughs> 50 years. Uh, they are still performing, uh, yeah. and they got the chance. They'd had the chance to play at Woodstock, but they took a better-paying gig at the Fillmore West in San Francisco instead of playing Woodstock. Uh, the next one is a group called the James Cotton Blues Band. This is a blues harmonica performer, uh, James Cotton. He'd been he'd been in Janis Joplin's backing band uh, and just a longtime blues performer. Then the next one is Texas's own Janis Joplin. We talked about her several years ago in an episode. She had been at Woodstock. Um, I heard a story about her 
that uh, at the end of her set, the crowd went crazy and cheered her, and she looked at him and said, well, where the F have you been up to now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she had, I guess she'd recently broke up with the big, big brother in the holding company. Uh, she mm. actually only had a year and a month left to live. The next one is legendary blues guitarist B.B. King, and I don't think we need an introduction for him or his guitar, Lucille. Uh, everybody should know who B.B. King is. And if you uh, don't, go look him up. Go look him up. Come on. B.B. King. Seriously. Uh, Herbie Mann was the next artist. He was a jazz flutist. Flautist. 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 Thank you. He actually had a hit record in 1969 called Memphis Underground that fused jazz, blues, soul, rock, and reggae. So, oh, Sean, it's Herbie Hancock. Well, no, it's Herbie Mann. This is his name. Uh, These are the the jokes, folks. (laughs) So the next group was the group The Rotary Connection. This was a psychedelic soul band and uh, featured singer Minnie Ripperton, who had a number of disco hits in the 70s. But you didn't know that, Mike. Uh, nope. Okay. And then the last group on the first day, close out the night, the great Sam and Dave, Memphis soul icons. Mm-hmm. They were the stars of Stax Records, Soulville, USA. And if you have not heard the song Soul Man, then I don't know where you've been. because. Yeah. But song... don't watch the movie Soul Man. No. Go watch the Blues Brothers. It was, it was the only good thing about yeah. yeah, go watch the Blues Brothers. Go watch the Blues Brothers because there's a ton of their music in it. Then uh, you don't do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about day two here. So the next day was Sunday, August 31st. Uh, I guarantee it was very hot. And very <laughs> hot on August 31st in Texas to sit outside in the sun and listen to music. Well, a lot of the same bands played again. You had uh, Grand Funk Railroad open the day. Chicago came back. James Cotton Blues Band. Then they brought on Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. And this was a singer-songwriter group that had been opening for Eric Clapton that year. Then you had the Incredible String Band. And this was a somewhat popular, I questioned the somewhat part of it. It was a British psychedelic folk band. They'd been at Woodstock as well. B.B. Uh, King took the stage again. And then had a special band called Led Zeppelin. Maybe you've heard of them. They were actually announced as the Led Zeppelin and... <clears throat> There's not much else to say about Led Zeppelin that hasn't been said before. This is very early in their start. Um, they would they were about to blow up, if you know your time frame. So August of '69, and you head into the '70s, and they were they were about to become kings. High quality recordings of this whole festival are available on the internet, and uh, it's a very popular Led Zeppelin bootleg because it's very early and it's a very technical, high quality performance. Herbie Mann came back out because. You know, I just can't get enough jazz flute in my life. Yeah, you got to follow Led Zeppelin, <laughs> blasting out your ears. Well, jazz flute. That was a Led Zeppelin, and here we go with a little. Sam and Dave, Kings. I guess they couldn't get. I guess they couldn't get Chuck Mangione. Oh, Chuck Mangione was not a hit at this point. I don't think he came out in seventies. Uh, her uh, after Herbie Mann, Sam and Dave came out to bring the soul. They're always amazing. Uh, and last was a, a little-known act, uh, Santana. Now they just were a Latin-infused psychedelic rock band. They just come off of releasing their first album, but their performance at Woodstock became 
iconic. And when the Woodstock film would come out, that that image of their set was really one of the things that propelled them to massive stardom. And then from there, part of the Santana band. Well, yeah. When so so a few years later, this young kid who would start hanging around with them, who is an incredible guitar prodigy named Neil Schoen, who would go on to form this other weird band called Journey, where they would find this other guy named Steve Perry, and then eventually he would record Oh Sherry, and I could just <laughs> listen to that on a loop. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, but, so only two weeks after Woodstock, you know, Santana was, their first album had come out, so people kind of knew who they were, but they were not, you know, the film wasn't out of Woodstock, and so people didn't know this legendary set that they had at Woodstock where they were completely blown out of their minds uh, on acid. Uh, but they just they set the stage on fire. Um, so but can you imagine getting to see B.B. King, Led Zeppelin and Sam and Dave and Santana in the same day in Chicago? I don't know. Last just last week, I got to listen to a guy scream into a microphone and then play a trumpet solo. So I don't know what you're doing to our poor listeners and your wife out there. Was was that the Nixons? <laughs> no, 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 that was that was uh, Space <laughs> that Cowboy. Was the, the, yeah, oh, Space Cowboy. <laughs> See, Space Cowboy would have been good at this. Best oh yeah, now. he'd fit right in. Well, tell us about day three. So what did yeah, people do so on their Labor Day? Day three was Monday, September 1st, Labor Day. Um, again, some of the same familiar acts in the lineup. The day opened with Grand Funk Railroad again. Uh, maybe they uh, they had to go to bed early, so they started. I don't know. I, I uh, they kind of had a residency, actually. This was kind of their first really big, big gig. Uh, yeah. And they not only played the main stage, but they played the free stage at the campground. Gotcha. So after them on the last day was Johnny Winter, who is a Texas-born blues rock guitarist. And his band included his brother, keyboardist Edgar Winter, um, had also performed at Woodstock. Uh, Next up was Delaney and Bonnie and Friends again, and then B.B. King. And then next up that day was a band called Naz, uh, N-A-Z-Z, a a Philadelphia rock band that would uh, break up later that year. It's most notable, they're most notable for launching the career of their singer-guitarist, Todd Rundgren. Legend, legendary performer and producer. Hey guys, hello, it's me, Todd Rundgren. (laughs) After Naz was Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. They are another Texan act that performed at Woodstock. Uh, We've talked about Sly Stone's funky rock fusion genius before in, uh, which episode was that? It was one oh, of our, our music that you don't think of as being from Texas, yeah. but are totally yeah, yeah. from Texas. Texas rock? I Texas still, rock man. question mark and Texas rock question mark too. Yeah. <laughs> Everyday people. Damn. Such a great band. Yeah. And then after Sly and the Family Stone was uh, Spirit, which was a California psychedelic rock band who'd been touring with Led Zeppelin that summer. Um they later sued Led Zeppelin for, quote-unquote, stealing the introduction to Stairway to Heaven from their own song, Taurus. Uh, what was the outcome of that lawsuit? Uh, they lost. However, if you listen to Taurus, it's totally the introduction <laughs> to Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't well, wait for us to do an episode where we talk same about... Pro- <laughs> same chord progression, exactly. Uh, I can't wait for us to do an episode about Rob Van Winkle from playing and be like... <laughs> It goes dun 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 dun. It's nothing like the Queen song. I 
promise you. And after um, Spirit was Sweetwater. This was a very talented folk rock group originally set to open Woodstock, but had been delayed in traffic. So uh, Richie Havens opened that show. Sweetwater ended up playing third at Woodstock and seemed set for big things, but singer Nancy Nevins was badly injured in a car accident later that year, and uh, presumably that ended. Yeah, well, that Richie Havens opening set, that's one of those things that's insane to watch and, and just set the tone for that whole movie, so... But yeah, that was bummer about traffic bands. Makes right. me angry Sweet, too. Sweetwater, they it was a they were a really good group. They had a good song, Motherless Child. Um, if you actually remember in the late nineties, uh, I think around the the around the thirtieth anniversary of Woodstock, there was a VH1 movie starring Amy Jo Johnson of Power Rangers, and she played Nancy Nevins in this movie. Hmm. It's a TV movie. It's a good movie. So after Sweetwater came 10 years after, a British blues rock band who had a bunch of hits, including I'd Love to Change the World. And like many other acts in this lineup, they were also at Woodstock. And last to close out the festival was Tony Joe White, a Louisiana blues guitarist most famous for writing songs for others, including Elvis, Tina Turner, and Dusty Springfield. Yeah, most descriptions of Tony Joe White say he was a swamp rocker. Swamp rocker. Nice. Yeah. In 2019, the city of Louisville celebrated the 50th anniversary of this historic concert by staging a two-day event at Lake Louisville, not far from the original site, where a plaque erected in 2010 resides. This show featured performances by some local bands, including rising star Sarah Jaffe, but also some legends, including John Mayall, The Box Tops, and Texas icons ZZ Top. It also We've talked about them, right? The little talk? band from Texas? You bet we have. Yeah. It also featured two veterans of the original show, Edgar Winter, who was in his late brother Johnny Winter's band in 1969. They performed on the Saturday show. And, of course, Chicago, which features three original members headlining the Sunday show because Peter Cetera has better things to do these days. <laughs> That's a yeah. Chicago joke for my Chicago friends out there. Um... You know, the crazy thing to me is people said, Mike, you're going to talk every week about something in Texas history, some event of Texas. What are you going to do when you run out of things to talk about? <laughs> and no then Sean thing. shows up and said, did you know we had our own Woodstock in, down the road in, in Louisville? I said, no. And then he sent me the list and you look at the list and you go, wait, what? Yeah. I haven't never seen this. Why did this happen six years before I was born? Why do we care about <laughs> something that happened in some little podunk farm in the middle of New York? We got it right here in Texas, man. Well, to be fair, that New York show had three times as many people show up. True. Well, but you know still, what the problem is, is they didn't have Willie Nelson on this bill. That's right. If they'd had the Willie Nelson group. Well, they needed the, Willie the Nelson group, bump. If they'd had Willie and... Chris Christopherson and Waylon Jennings. They this actually to... might have, instead of Tony Joe White, <laughs> ten years after, they might have actually had. <laughs> they, just, they just needed a little people just... tearing down the fence. <laughs> oh man, this was something. I mean, you look at these things. I can remember watching the the first time I saw the Woodstock film um, on VHS because. You know, I'm old, but I'm not that old. And uh, But I remember watching it and just thinking about what must it have been like to be at something like this. And then here it is, 
you know, you didn't have... I know people who went to the original Woodstock. They said, man, I got my car and I drove all the way to New York and it was the most, it changed my life. Um, but then you didn't have to do that. You could just go over to Louisville and have a great time. Yeah, I mean, I found a bunch of newspaper articles because this was the 50th anniversary of this. Obviously, the 50th anniversary of Woodstock a couple of weeks ago and people have talked all about that. Right, you know, uh, Rhino Records released a $800 box set of every single hour of or minute of Woodstock recordings. They should release like a hundred dollar box set of every hour of recordings of this. That would be cool. But at any rate, um, people talked about the oh, the they the kids, they were kids, they were 18, 17, 16 years old. They saw the the footage and they heard on the radio and from their friends, oh, something happened at Woodstock in New York. Everybody was there. And then they find out there's gonna be a show in Texas and I'm going to UNT or I'm going to I go to, you know, like Highlands High School or something like that. And but they had people coming from all over the country to 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 this event as well. So that was I think it's just really cool. And it's cool that it's there's not any you know, there's some tragedy associated with Woodstock. There's some bitter feelings from the from the people in the area still about Woodstock. It doesn't seem like it seemed like this is a, was a recipe for a disaster. And the only people who had an issue with it were the biddies and the the you know the hyper conservative people, you know outside of town that didn't understand what was going on you know that yeah no i get that but uh, you know one thing we're glossing over here sean is just think about hey dad i know you built six flags i'm just gonna borrow a couple hundred grand because i got an idea a real money maker yeah it's a shame it didn't make money and i remember when the they did the whole in the nineties when the Woodstock revivals came back and there was this energy around, we're going to recreate the energy of a Woodstock. We're going to start building the Lollapaloozas and the Woodstocks and all that came back. But I wish something like this had come, you know, I wish there was this in the spirit of what that was, you know? Yeah. I mean, we had edge fest. That was our thing, but Listen, I get, a couple I of like drunk dummies throwing turkey legs at each other in the outfield of <laughs> Starplex. <laughs> of the Starplex is not gonna is not cut it. Yeah, no. Well, well, what's funny is that you know this is a little less rock focus oriented, and it's a little more. There's a broader spectrum of musicians in this show. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you got BB King there and you got Sam and Dave there, that, that has a different tone than. Although Woodstock had Sean and I, so what do I know? You know nothing. <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> well, this was yeah. really cool. This was a special find, and I'm glad you shared the videos. Uh, so make sure you come to the site, check out the notes page. Uh, be sure to to you know if you have hey, psh, hey, were if you you're there? out there listening, were you there? Was your dad there or your mom or your uncle? Do you know some people who were present for this? Why don't you uh, get on social media, get on the email, drop us a line. We'd love to talk to you and hear the story about uh, what the Texas Woodstock was like 50 years ago. I, I would say that if, Mike, if we if we had this 25 years ago or 23 years ago, you know, when we were in college, uh, it would be a little awkward because, you know, yeah, yeah these, these hippies dress kind of weird. But, you know, when in 1993, I mean, we were wearing – we were dressing like it was a Seattle rainstorm coming, and it was a summer in Texas. So See, you say boots. 
Okay, I'm going to have an old man Sean moment here. There was one time about five, five maybe, you know, maybe even longer ago than that, and you saw <clears throat> some younger person, and you say, oh, that person's wearing, and I was just like, hey, dummy, <laughs> remember when you wore a Pearl Jam shirt over a, over a lagering, like, undershirts, like, long sleeve undershirt thing, and then you had <laughs> With a, st- over it. stupid boots and a flannel shirt, shut up. Yeah. Remember sure. when people I had sure. butt cuts in the '90s? Let's just yeah. let's just stop there. That's uh, unfortunate haircuts. Everybody has unfortunate haircuts in their past. Oh my gosh, well, it will happen to all of you too, someday. someday. But uh, but but yeah, this there's some cool footage. This is just a neat little history thing that I had no idea was out there. I I doubt a lot of people probably knew about this. So, you know, celebrate Texas with the festivals and music and. It's awesome. Great find, Sean. Yep. Good stuff. Go watch the video. Don't watch it with your kids. <laughs> hey, everybody has different kids. That's true. Yeah, you do you, man. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We love hearing from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or get yourself to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm technically Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you love this show, if you love Texas, if you love music, tell your friends about what we're doing. Leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texas podcast where you too can become a come and take it texas ranger we hope you join us next time and remember that even if you aren't from texas texas wants you anyway